Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Stop, stop it, you fool. Stop eating wheat. It's full of gluten, and everybody knows gluten is poison. Do you feel me? Kion, why are you yelling at those cows? Because they're eating wheat, which is full of gluten, which is, you know, it's so bad. They're eating hay. That's hay. Isn't hay wheat? What is hay? Hay is usually a mix of things like ryegrass, timothy, brome, fescue, bermuda grass, and orchard grass. Hay may also include legumes, such as alfalfa and clovers. But but not wheat? Oat, barley, and wheat are occasionally made into hay for animal fodder. However, they're more often used in the form of straw, a harvest byproduct where the stems and dead leaves are baled after the grain has been harvested and threshed. Straw is used mainly for animal bedding. Hey, even lying down on gluten seems incredibly dangerous, and I just want these cows to have the kind of hip edgy, happening lifestyle that I and my gluten-free friends have. Your concern for animal welfare is admirable. Oh, well, actually, I was looking forward to having a hamburger later today on a corn, rice, and chickpea flour-based bun, but if these idiots are full of gluten, then what's the point? Try to reason with them. Oh, I will. Today on The Nose, who's the entertainer who owns the summer of 2014? Weird Al, of course. How did he do it? Also, the politics of gluten and the sociology of air conditioning. And now, finishing up his gluten, lactose, and peanut smoothie, Colin McEnroe. Everything that could possibly be bad for me, all in one smoothie. In her book, A Theory of Parody, The Teachings of 20th Century Art Forms, scholar Linda Hutchin writes that, quote, parody always implicitly reinforces, even as it ironically debunks. She might have been describing Weird Al Yankovic, an accordion-playing nerd who, after years as a novelty act, has pulled off the impossible, well, improbable feat anyway, of being the dominant entertainer of summer 2014. And he has done so through the poor stepchild art form known as the song parody. We'll be discussing Weird Al's grand tour through popular culture, as well as the sociology of air conditioning and other topics, if time allows, with a panel that includes playwright and Mark Twain House Minister of Fun, Jacques Lamar. He performed his parody of the Disney hit The Bear Necessities from Jungle Book recently in <laughs> Provincetown as part of his one-man show saluting the life and work of Sebastian Cabot. <laughs> possibly the original bear. Um, communications specialist, shadowy international banking figure and media blogger, Doobie McDowell, her CD of song parodies based on historic Connecticut TV anchors titled I Love You, A Bushel and a Peckinpah, drops on iTunes later this summer. Fair, Fairy Across the Terzi is my favorite cut, but... Uh, cineast, conspiracy theorist, and leading light in Eastern Connecticut's Bloomsbury Circle, James Hanley of Trinity Cine Studio. He has somehow managed to set the words of Thomas Piketty's Capital in the 21st Century to the music of Inagata De Vida by Iron Butterfly, and he will perform that in a 20-minute web extra on WNPR.org. 
dropping later today. So uh, here's what we're going to talk about. Well, we're going to talk about uh, Weird Al. If you call yourself Weird Al, you close off certain possibilities. <laughs> you will not be feted at the Kennedy Center Honors, and you will not get a MacArthur Grant. But Weird Al Yankovic has done something else with his latest album, Mandatory Fun, which the New York Times reported this week became the first number one of Mr. Yankovic's three-decade career with 104,000 uh, units of sales uh, in the United States, according to Nielsen Soundsky. And Mandatory Fun is also the first comedy album to top Billboard's album chart since Alan Sherman's My Son the Nut in 1963. His new videos have been watched a total of 46 million times. Before, uh, we need a clip uh, already here, uh, Bitsy, before we're going to do the Robin Thicke parody, Word Crime. So before we hear from the panel, just so you know what we're talking about, assuming that you've somehow or other managed to avoid Weird Al Al Yankovic over the last week or so, uh, this is his Robin Thicke parody of uh, Blurred Lines. It's called Word Crimes. So, James Hanley, let's ask the aesthetic question first. Can a song parody ever be real comic art, or is it always kind of a parlor trick with pretensions? No, I think in this case it really can. I mean, it's amazing to me that this has come to – I mean, it's taken so long for really – for this to have such such significance and uh, to actually dominate the internet for such a long time – uh, for for well, long time in internet terms, it's really amazing. Um, I mean, internet terms. Eight days of our yeah, full attention. Days. Exactly. I mean, I was a lifetime. <laughs> I was stunned by that because you can you can sort of watch these uh, uh, charts that tell you you know what's trending and what's not, and things come and go in such spectacularly short times. I mean, I think he's very clever about the way he's released the songs. You know, he's kept the attention going. But there's something. I don't know. I, to me, there's something kind of authentic about it that suddenly jumps out. Just listening, the, the, you know, these these um, his, his even his personality has somehow taken on something different culturally. I think this time because really. he sort of throws himself into it with yeah. such gusto. Yes, exactly. It has. The, it, it is that kind of reality, authenticity kind of thing that somehow steps out of. All of the manipulated sort of like all of the things that sound artificial, this suddenly and I mean, I, I have to say that in the past, some of his things sounded to me artificial and contrived and sort of, you know, drove me crazy, actually. And some but all of a sudden it has a new identity. I think it's amazing. All right. Uh, by the way, as we go along here, you're welcome to uh, join the conversation. 860-275-7266. What is it about Weird Al that's working now? 860-275-7266. How do you feel about parody in general? D.B. McDowell, uh, you are a communications specialist. Uh, and Weird Al actually did take some unusual steps here in releasing this. I mean, uh, I think we can talk about the aesthetics of it. We will 
as we go along. Uh, I'm inclined to agree with James. I used to find him kind of the musical Jim Carrey. He was just trying so hard that he bothered me. Uh, there's something different now. But he also was just, from a business point of view, uh, obviously made a very good move in hiring McDowell and Jewett uh, Communications. <laughs> but um, other than that, what other smart things that he, did he do? He has strung together a number of massive online video entertainment networks. So the release didn't just go to YouTube and hope that all other people f clicked onto it and talked about it. He released each of these songs uh, eight days in a row, sort of a la Beyonce doing a surprise release also, um, to different to different networks. So funnier, so, funnier die, college humor, yeah, the Laurel, ner um, <laughs> Nerdist, yeah. and 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 a variety of them. So he yeah. he was hitting such a wide audience. I will also uh, comment that he it, it, timing is often everything in uh, having a success like this, and he or somebody working with him uh, chose. Uh, a week during the summer that is generally culturally void. We're not discussing Oscar nominations or Emmy nominations. There's no big blockbuster movie out right now that everybody is talking about. And so he's been able to dominate this cultural space. I think also he's all, he lucked out, if that's the right word. I think maybe it's the wrong word. But uh, every other bit of news is horrible right now. I mean, there's Gaza. <laughs> right. There's downed airliners. There's migrant children at the border. Um, you know, people actually do want to be entertained and amused when they're not being made miserable by, by reality. So uh, that worked out pretty well. Um, so, Jacques, um, you know, I, I'm defaulting to you as, a, uh, as our humor arbiter because uh, you're funny and you write funny plays. Is it funny? Is Al, uh, do you find Weird, Weird Al Yankovic funny? You know, I, it, it, it's interesting because a lot of the work that I do for Varla Jean Merman, the drag queen that I write for, is writing song parodies. Yep. Um, and we're always trying to guess what's going to be the big song that summer because if it's a song that people don't know well, it's going it, to – it's going to bomb because it's not going to trade off people's love for, like, blurred lines, for example. And so, um, you know, we're, we're always trying to make it as, as absolutely as funny as possible. I think, you know, I feel like Weird Al's kind of hit or miss sometimes, but he's been at it for so long, and there's really not anyone else out there who kind of works in this milieu as, um, you know, as long and as hard as he has. And so, I mean, I think back to when I used to be up uh, listening to Dr. Demento and waiting for them to play My Bologna, <laughs> <laughs> which wasn't that his first his I think first so, thing? and I think Weird Al did a My Sharona parody too, but I forget no, what it was called. Well, that, that was My Bologna. It was? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. think yeah. you were saying Dr. That's Demento right. did one. No, did Dr. Demento kind of broke him. Broke him, uh, okay. Yeah, and so uh, the fact that we're still talking about him 30 years later is pretty amazing, you know, especially because when was the last time you heard My Bologna? Yeah. These songs don't have a very long shelf life. <laughs> yeah, that's know. right. That's just right. Bologna has <laughs> a parody yeah. of the knack. Uh, it just is. Yeah, that's right. His Bologna has a shelf life. It's spelled. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> um, yeah. Colin, yeah. I don't think these are very funny. Mm. And in many cases, even while studying them, I was having difficulty understanding what the words were to mm. some of them. Um, in the in the happy takeoff, which is tacky. I was trying to listen to every word, and I couldn't really catch him. But he successfully chooses songs that are so catchy to begin with that stay in your mind. And then he adds on 
this different this twist. Right. Let's hear uh, that, another example of this. Here's um, his parody of Royals by Lord, which is Foil. Oh, by the way, I've cracked the code. I figured out the shadow organizations and the Illuminati know that they're finally primed for world domination. Cause I made this hat from aluminum foil. foil Where I had this foil line In case an alien's inclined To probe your butt or read your mind Looks a bit And by the way, this is a song that sort of makes a progression. It initially appears to be simply a song extolling the virtues uh, for food wrapping of aluminum foil <laughs> and then uh, switches into this much uh, darker black helicopter era, uh, uh, area and, uh, and gets like a whole other little comic boost out of it. But, you know, one of the things that, uh, James, that uh, Weird Al Yankovic does that is, I think, very different from what a lot of parodists do is solicit the approval and cooperation and blessing uh, of every artist that he parodies. And you know, it raised a question in my mind. I, I didn't – I suddenly thought, wow, I would have thought that if there is any kind of aesthetic rule book for parody, it would be a, a much more anarchical one where, I, you know, I'm prepared with, through parody to, to say everything that I don't like about your art. Um, but I guess I'm wrong about that. I think now I am wrong about that. Well, it, I have to say that I felt that way for a long time about his stuff, that, you know, that, that there's something strange about um, – I mean, I like provocation. I like satire as provocation and something that has some bite to it. But that sort of um, being a part of the thing you're parodying by seeking that approval and seeking that sort of framework, um, it's very strange uh, to, that now it, it somehow has a different quality. Um, I, I think it's almost like his whole – pattern of parody has actually been waiting for the internet sort of perfect moment where the evanescence of the internet and the fact that it can almost be sort of played like an instrument if you do it right. You know, they just happen to hit the right time, as we were talking about, in terms of, you know, what is on the internet at the moment. And also, it's a clever idea to actually do it progressively and be constantly people are constantly being reminded for a whole week that you know this is going on and it has a um i don't know uh it, it both has a sort of almost transgressive but not um uh, i i don't know quite how to describe it <laughs> it's very confusing because there there are times when it seems like you know tiresome and and not having any reality to it but then you also think of okay well if you're seeking really to in some way, in the background, enhance the very nature of what you're parodying. That's a really complicated place to be. It, it, it's sort of like the reverse of a bite. Um, the, um, he does, Jacques, at times, 
get into, I guess that maybe on the, the one occasion that he really got into any kind of trouble with this, uh, and it wasn't real trouble, was he was trying to do a parody, this is a couple years ago, of Lady Gaga. Uh, and it was going to be called Perform. Well, it was. We'll end up being called Perform this way. Um, and he reached out to her people, and she said, and the people came back with the answer, no, no, you can't do it. And he immediately threw the song without any real production, just the sort of words up onto YouTube with a little kind of woebegone, gee, I really wanted to do this, and Lady Gaga said no. At which point the immediate reaction from the Lady Gaga organization was, we made a terrible mistake. We never even showed that to Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> so the worst, you know, obviously you can do this. I mean, the worst thing you can do in a situation like this is be a bad sport, right? Yeah, well, I think there, there was some story about uh, – him approaching some big artist, and he thought, oh, I'll never get permission. And, the, and they took it as, like, this high compliment that they actually had earned Weird Al's attention and that they were going to, right. you know, be the subject of one of his of his uh, parodies. But, I mean, I think parody is a little bit of a wrong term with him because when you think about, like, what we just listened to with Royals and Foil and, and um, Blurred Lines – they're not really mocking the songs. Uh, and, the, and the Lady Gaga one was a little bit, too. That was one of the rare occasions where he kind of targeted the artist. And usually you're right. He's transposing new comic material. Yeah. In one case about how people don't understand grammar anymore and they talk like idiots on the Internet onto a song about something completely different. And, and didn't – I mean, you know, you kind of want somebody to write a parody of Blurred Lines that takes on the sheer creepiness of Robin <laughs> Thicke. <laughs> you know? But Al, Al is not going to do that, yeah, right? I, but, I mean, there's – you know. Anyone of a number of people who probably already have done it on the on the internet, and so I think um, you know he's I mean, my thing about you know even just the examples that we listen to is like oh that's funny but I don't need to hear it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think which is the essence of a novelty. Yes. Kind yeah, of, yeah. But if you liked this one of the songs you liked royals back when it came out in the fall mm-hmm. and you hear uh you you hear the parody it might make you think oh i'm gonna go download royals i i, I i'm saying yeah. this not knowing how artists make money anymore mm-hmm. i they used to sell <laughs> albums yeah. i have no idea how they're making money but but that being said if you're the artist you probably want him to do a parody that is gentle in this way because you are he's reminding the listening right. public of the original song. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think the whole Lady Gaga thing was exactly that. It, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, anything like that was attractive to them, actually. And one of the things that, that Weird Al has talked about, because the Internet is such an incredible uh, fertile ground, it's not uh, – just Jacques and Varla Jean Merman who are competing with uh, with Weird Al. It's everybody. Uh, so much so that l- last week, actually, on the nose, we, we talked about this um, celebrated disastrous Comcast customer service call. Somebody's <laughs> already set that to music. Um, and, 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 and Weird Al described uh, listening to uh, Let It Go, the Indina Menzel hit from Frozen, and thinking that it would be kind of fun to have it be Make It So, which is what Captain Picard used to say all the time uh, on the Starship Enterprise, except that it turned Turned out there already was exactly that thing up on the internet by some Joe Schmo from somewhere who, I mean, you really have to move fast now because everybody's a dangerous amateur. Well, I think one of the things about Weird Al also is he's like the nerd triumphant. And I think that there's a large community who really, you know, was there from the beginning with him and just love the fact that he's he's hung in there. And obviously this is... 
This is a, a big feather in nerd caps everywhere that's number one this week. <laughs> and it's li- like after a week, it'll be over, and it's right. not going to happen again. It's you, like Even Weird Al is saying this may be his last full album, yeah, too. I mean, yeah. th- maybe he's exhausted the whole form. A bunch of tweets coming in. DJ Darth Fader uh, tweets, what is really weird is that his original songs are kind of catchy, too. I would put into that category another artist like that, Haywood Banks, whose music we use here occasionally. He just writes really good songs that are also funny. Tim Cook tweets, another one rides the bus, recording. In Doctor Demento's bathroom, uh, John tweets: "Word crimes is a great is great because it's a parody of the internet in the guise of being uh, a, a, in the guise of a song well deserving of parody." And Andrew tweets: "For someone who makes parodies, he's a true original human being, resilient and very talented, true to himself." That kind of goes back it to seems it. Seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and I, I do think that there. We're, I don't know if this is always the case, but right now we're in an era of music where I, we had a whole conversation about this on Tuesday about songs of the summer. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that pop music is really great or that Fancy is a terrific song or anything like that because we hashed that out on Tuesday. But there, are, there do seem to be a lot of songs that people can regard at least with enough affection and general familiarity so you can do this. First of all, you can't do a parody of a song that you know 85% of people don't know because it has to be it has to be recognizable for you to get the laugh. The laugh is the disjunct between the material that you've mm-hmm. imposed on it um, and, 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 you know, and what the song was actually about. And there are enough of those kinds of songs. Right. James and I were here pre-Oscars and we were all debating you know, the, the best, best song. That's right. And yeah, you yeah. Know, it was happy versus let it go. Those kind of songs are an example of that. Tim Cook, Tim Cook tweets, and this is I, – I, I offer no translation of this because I have no idea what he's talking about. Weird Al's biggest controversy was with the Amish Paradise knocking Coolio. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you remember that's, this. All yeah. Right? You know, yes. I have no idea. Coolio was not happy about it. Right. He yeah. was not happy about it. Well, I think he really uh, wasn't happy. It wasn't yeah. back too. No, no, no. Yeah. But I am um, – I was this this past week got asked to write a uh, parody of of Iggy Azalea's "Fancy," mm-hmm. and it gives you a new appreciation for someone like Weird Al because it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's harder than you'd think, especially I, when you're writing a parody of a rap song because the rap lyrics a lot. are very hard yeah. to to translate into something different. And actually, let's hear a little bit of um, – I, I think this is one of the less successful parodies uh, in this uh, huge batch that he's just released, partly because I also think that Iggy Azalea is difficult to parody because a lot of what's, what makes up that song is her rather peculiar delivery, which is you – know, she has kind of an unusual voice, speaking voice, rapping voice, yeah. And it's, she's got this sort of faux Atlanta crunk accent that's uh, actually you know, superimposed on her actual Australian accent. And, and so like a lot of the fun of that song is sort of listening to all that, none of which – uh, Al can really get at and so he he's got uh, this kind of fake commercial on the video it's for a, it's sort of a late night poorly produced ad for a handyman and uh, and here's how that one comes out First things first, I'm a craftsman. Craftsman. Remodeling is my only passion. It's my passion. And I'm the greatest in the business. Want referrals, yo? My clientele will bear you witness. Right, right. I can help when your door jam sticks. Huh? There is nothing in the world I can't fix. Yeah. I do tiles, I do stone, I do bricks. Call me, I'll come rushing over with my bag of tricks. Bag of tricks. Where you go when your disposal is rusted. Rusted. I'm problem making you disgusted. Yeah. When your front window is busted. Just one name that's always trusted. You already know I'll see 
See, I feel as though Iggy Azalea does cry out really for some specific parody directed at her. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm so Caucasian would have been kind of funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, see, but, but Al is not going to go there. I mean, because it's all, I mean, he has a real affection for all the material he does. Caucasian it, doesn't fit in the two No, it's, I, I realize that. But yeah. if he can do... I'm so whitey. Yeah, if he can do uh, I perform this way... Well, I don't know. Everyone, mm-hmm. Anyway, never mind. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we, we need to take a break here. So uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about um, gluten-free. Uh, it made a lot of sense for people who actually had celiac disease. Does it make a lot of sense for everybody else who's trying to be really cool and conscientious? Oh, my. All right, we're back. Uh, we're getting ready to be talking about wheat. But first of all, let me remind you uh, who's here. Uh, James Hanley from Trinity Cine Studio is here. Uh, and Doobie McDowell from McDowell and Jewett Communications is here. Uh, Jacques Lamar from the Mark Twain House is here. And now we are going to be talking about some wheat. Could I hear, do we have a little wheat talking music we could play? I went for a walk. Stock on a stalk of weed and it felt like a trillion feet. I was looking for a friend at the end at the end of the line and it took me till the end of time. I was all out of luck like a duck like a duck that died. I was all out of juice like a moose like a moose denied. I was all out of money like a bunny that's broke. I was all out of work like a jerk who's a joke and I was out of ideas like I is like I is like I is like I is. I was out of ideas. All right. That we had uh, the Might Be Giants write that for us this morning uh, because of the wheat segment. Because wheat <laughs> is the staff of life, it has fascinated us for centuries. Listen to this Russian intellectual talking about wheat. The crops, the grains, fields of rippling wheat. Wheat. All there is in life is wheat. Sonia, here's your chance to do something kind for a dying boy. But I don't really love Boris. I mean, I love him, but I'm not in love with him. Wheat. Lots of wheat. Fields of wheat. A tremendous amount of wheat. And yet he loves me. And he would make a devoted husband. Not too exciting, but devoted. We'd have a family. Maybe not our own. We could rent one. I could learn to love him. Me, Boris, and six rented children. (gasps) Or would I feel trapped, suffocated, can't breathe? (sighs) Open a window. No, 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 not that one. The one in the bathroom. Yellow wheat, red wheat, wheat with feathers, cream of wheat. All right, wheat. Uh, wheat was such a wonderful thing <laughs> at one time, but not, not so much anymore. Uh, Doobie McDowell informs us that Chelsea Clinton celebrated her pregnancy with a gluten-free baby shower. It's not clear whether the <laughs> term gluten-free <laughs> modifies the baby or the shower, maybe both, uh, in upscale Westchester, New York. And in New York, the New York Times reports that in the Luke's dining room of Del Posto, one of New York's most heralded and expensive Italian restaurants, one-third of the tables on any given night will have at least one gluten-free diner. 
uh, a decade ago. A few, uh, pe- few people other than those with celiac disease, a digestive condition, knew much about the implications of gluten. But today, if you are not gluten-free, says the New York Times, you likely know someone who is or is trying to be. The style of eating has become a way of life for many and a national punchline for others. Dubie McDowell, you are responsible for uh, the fact that we are uh, engaging in this topic, and you may be responsible for other aspects of the gluten-free lifestyle as well. <laughs> I'm not sure how far your tentacles I'm actually reach. Uh, but uh, so, so tell us why this uh, tickled your fancy. I'm surrounded by the gluten-free lifestyle, both uh, people who suffer from celiac disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my daughter's friends suffers from this, and she is getting annoyed because she's seen everybody uh, adopting this for various reasons. And she says some of us really, you know, need to to eat gluten free. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like sort of typical American uh, trend. People are desperate for either Im- to improve their health. You know, I have stomach issues. Maybe this will help me. Or number two, I think sometimes this is you know, people are seeking weight loss. So they think this might be a ticket to that. Um, but also there's there's a sort of faddish element to it. But I, I'm sure as you all have found when you go to the grocery store, you're kind of surrounded now by gluten-free products. And it's apparently a $15 billion industry. Well, I, yes, uh, Jacques right now is writing a uh, song parody of uh, Fancy <laughs> that's now retitled Gluten uh, <laughs> while he's working on that. Uh, James, uh, as we were emailing back and forth about this, you talked about the general idea of a commercially exploitable health concern. Well, exactly. And I mean, I really sympathize with people who really do have celiac disease and, and how the very nature of actually having a medical need is actually devalued by this. And I think actually you hit on the thing with the supermarket. I mean, it's all about shelf space, really, in the supermarket. You get to produce your regular goods. Then you also have the gluten-free version. So you get extra shelf space. And so that's the next stage in the shelf, in in the chess game that the manufacturers are playing. And it's made to order that kind of you know, uh, um, that kind of obsession with the idea that, okay, this is something that affects everybody. And it has, I think, a lot of negative effects. It also happens to make a lot of money. But one of my things about it was, that why can't this happen about something like sugar? You know, like like that 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 really, you know, <laughs> if that became demonized in the same way, you know, things would rapidly fall apart in the supermarket, considering how much sugar, which is virtually a free ingredient that is stuffed into so many products, that you then had. I mean, it would be more than sugar free. I mean, we've been through the sugar free wave, but this would be spectacular. It, there's a great there's a great scene in the uh, uh, perhaps underrated overlooked TV series called The Bridge, which is set uh, right on the border between El Paso and uh, and and Juarez, and these two DEA agents uh, come in, and it's kind of got this show kind of developing a, a Twin Peaks sense of humor. These two DEA agents walk in uh, to a sheriff's uh, office, and he offers them some candy he's got, and one of the DEA agents goes, "I don't do sugar; it's poison," you know, <laughs> 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 just sort of while they're right. trying to track down all these kind of loads of drugs and stuff like that. But you're right. I mean, well, if you can't sell ice cream to Eskimos, and you probably also can't ban ice cream in the Sahara Desert. People really want sugar. Right. You know, right. and, and it's, so it's hard to develop a food fad where you can't well, have it's it. A, yeah, it's an addictive substance, and, and gluten in many ways is a sort of hidden substance in that probably 10 years ago, hardly anybody knew about it except people who actually genuinely had 
uh, celiac disease, and it was something that uh, you'd hear described in bread manufacture. You know, bakers would talk about developing the gluten to make good bread, but uh, it, it it has it does have a different function. But at the same time, it makes you think about ingredients and how exploitation goes on in the industry and how it becomes an obsession that actually may ultimately be to the detriment of people who actually have a problem with this substance. By the way, if we're kicking some tripwire of yours, 860-275-7266, or perhaps you have a more benign reason for calling about gluten, 860-275-7266. Either way, remember, this was Doobie McDowell's topic. She is totally <laughs> responsible for whatever <laughs> twist or turn this conversation takes. So, uh, Jacques, I'm not even sure what question to ask you. Uh, well, I just wrote my parody. Of, oh, you did? <laughs> I was I'm trying to so wheat-free. I ain't no goat. I don't eat gluten. Because it makes me bloat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, here's first of all, that was, that, I am very close to tears. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I the, like yeah. I was up on the Cape and and went out to a bar and they offered me a gluten free vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? No. Um, yes. yes and I'm I like, saw that advertised. You're I'm right. Like, yeah, yeah. Isn't it made of potatoes anyway? <laughs> Well, well, so it's gluten-free. You know, I mean, the, they didn't say they removed gluten that was there. Yeah. They just say it's gluten-free. You have to sort of, you so know. So is water. So I, they probably, uh, you know, they had uh, at Chelsea, uh, the, uh, at the, the Clinton affair, they probably had, you know, gluten-free baby toys. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, like, I've got friends who I swear to God are like celiac disease by proxy. They don't really have it. It's right. just like one person in the group got it and then it hopped from person to person. <laughs> Well, I like that concept. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think people. I think everybody wants to feel special in some way. I think we all want to find something that makes us feel unique, whether you know, for a, a day or week or for a lifetime. And I think the gluten free thing. It's either it either go gluten free or get a tattoo. Basically, those are the only <laughs> two things I can. I think there's a. <laughs> Correlation there, seriously. Yeah. Well, I, I think I have a slightly opposite theory. And by the way, the phone lines are loading up. I'm probably going to get email about this, but um, that's okay. The uh, Colin, C O L I N at WNPR.org. I'll, I'll take the spears on my chest uh, or the breadsticks or whatever it is you're throwing the at me. The thing is, like, you could have a dinner party. You know, it used to be like you'd have a dinner party, but whatever out. And <laughs> now it's like, especially, you know, my husband's friends. It's like, this one's a vegan, this one's celiac, so now you can't do pasta, which you would have done for the vegan, but maybe you can do quinoa pasta. Lactose intolerant. That, lactose intolerant, nut allergy, da, 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 And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to serve water. Well, I, I, sort, of have a, I have sort of a counter theory to the everybody needs to feel special, which I don't disagree with at all. But I also think everybody feels kind of lousy, mm, you know? Right. And, it's, and it's because, back to James's point, we eat too much sugar, we eat too much this, we drink too much, we do, we do all kinds of things, and we eat just too much in general. So people... People are walking around feeling kind of terrible, and and they're thinking, how? I wonder if I could change one thing hmm. and yeah. not feel yeah. kind of so crappy. And, Do you and, mean they're feeling physically terrible? Yeah, people are or feeling spiritually people eat, terrible. No, well, both probably, but I was thinking more of the physical end of it. In other words, people eat too much and they just don't feel that good afterwards. Yeah. You know, and they eat too much sugar and they spike and they crash and they. I mean, people do all kinds of things. And and the other thing that's happened, I think, is well, I'm totally talking through my behind at this point. I don't have no proof of this except my own intuition. If is, you ate more gluten-free, the behind issue... Well, anyway, uh, go ahead. Uh, anyway, <laughs> no, that's more Metamucil, I think. But uh, the, 
which Jacques also does serve at, at his dinner parties. But no, I, I think the other thing that's happened, is there's been a shift in medicine, and it's by and large a good shift of looking at a lot of things as spectrums as opposed to ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. You know, either you have it or you don't. Well, there's a whole bunch of things that it does sort of make sense uh, to, to look at as a spectrum. So one of the things that happened in medicine was they, they looked at the gluten thing and they said, well, maybe you don't have celiac disease, but maybe you have some kind of gluten sensitivity. Maybe there's a spectrum. You know, you don't get as sick as a person with celiac disease, but you feel crappy, you know. And, and in fact, most of the recent clinical studies don't really back up that conclusion. <laughs> but, but it sort of helps people if they sort of think, well, what if I could change something? I'm a five on the gluten spectrum. Yeah, you're yes. just like dead center, right? Yeah. A five out of what, I guess? Uh, I eat five helpings. Right. Yes, yeah, so you'll have your gluten if you're gluten free. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I mean, one yeah, one ahead. medical expert has said that if if the result of this fad is that people are taking in fewer calories, then that will be a positive thing because Americans overeat. Yeah, but so, won't they find something else? I yes. mean. Yes. Hmm. Yes. They'll eat just overdose on rice cakes or something. All right. um, (laughs) All right. Let's grab a a few phone calls here. We do want to save a little time for the sociology of air conditioning, although really we are kind of running out of that precious time. Here's uh, Iris or Iris. I always forget which in New Haven. Hi. Hi. How are you? Fine. Um, I just have a comment. uh, I'm from Spain, and in Europe we eat everything. We don't have gluten-free, and... You know, we just eat in moderation, and I just find it amusing that, you know, in the United States, we tend to have all these uh, just funny ways of of, of dieting, gluten-free and high-protein and low-carb. Uh, it, it really is the manufactured foods uh, that I think Americans tend to eat a lot of, uh, which tend to be really high in sugar and not really wholesome, nutrient-dense types of foods. Um, you know, and dessert-wise, you just have a small amount of fruit. So any, the, the good news is if you're traveling to Spain or France, or you don't need to learn how to say gluten-free in that particular language <laughs> because <laughs> no one more will know paella. what you're talking about. All right. Uh, I want to just grab one or two more quick calls here just before we uh, we move on, or we may have to just go to break and come back. I don't know. I'm, I feel bad about the air conditioning thing, but we may have to do it another day. Here's uh, Sean in Fairfield. Hi, Sean. How are you? Uh, just a comment. Um, I feel that dietary restrictions in general have become the new precious affectation, and <laughs> that being precious has become very fashionable. Um, my girlfriend and I have both worked in restaurants uh, for many years in Fairfield County, and she had the funniest observation. Uh, she said that if that as a woman, if your husband makes more than $150,000 a year, you and all your children have gluten allergies. <laughs> In my experience, that's spot on. Oh, all right. Great. I'm going to squeeze one more call in here and then – or maybe I'm not. Is that – that's Kevin there. Okay. Let's, let's go to Kevin. Here's Kevin in East Hampton. Hi, Kevin. And let me make it simple because Kevin's not here. Kevin, are you there? No, he's not. All right. So we can do like three minutes on air conditioning. So Brian Slattery, um, 
uh, who I sort of uh, I crowdsourced topics for this week's news, and he suggested air conditioning. He said, who's got it? Who doesn't? And why? Various people's feelings about it. There are people who can't live with it. There are people who can't live without it. They say air conditioning is one of the crucial things separating the new South from the old South. They also say that post-war construction was designed to need air conditioning. And for three weeks in the summer, Connecticut is right in the middle of all those questions. Re, what air conditioning you know means. Um, so uh, Doobie McDowell, uh, as uh, an expert on white Protestant guilt, uh, maybe you can uh, begin <laughs> by telling us about Yankee ambivalence towards air conditioning. I think there's a certain guilt that some have about using air conditioning. Yes, we all, in theory, love the idea of let's open the windows. We don't need the artificial air, da, 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 da. The reality is it can get very, very hot in Connecticut and humid. And I think we you know, need to just um, accept that. I told you, Colin, that one of the things that it is an economic um, socioeconomic issue because I, I get annoyed sometimes when I hear meteorologists uh, on television or on the radio say, you know, it's a nice night out there. Turn off that air conditioning and open the windows. Not everybody can afford air conditioning. So the, the I'll other, just throw that yeah, out there. The other thing that I've noticed, James, and I, I want to hear all of your reactions to this, is I, I find that the people around me, the people in my neighborhood, uh, and this has been true for several neighborhoods where I've lived, activate their central air conditioning, not based on the temperature, but on the calendar. On a certain day, they just decide, even if it's 73 outside, you know, in a nice balmy breeze, it's like the ideal day. It's just because it's June 24th or something, they turn their air conditioning on and their big central uh, HVAC unit starts humming in the night air. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it is that, that, you know, you've gone from a paradigm where, for example, architectural design uh, in in many places in the South, for example, are houses which actually uh, emphasize cross-ventilation or in the Midwest, houses with large eaves that keep the the walls of the house shaded, um, that, that you can actually live with a certain amount of heat. It's true that there are certain extremes, but this idea of turning on at the beginning of the season and then, I mean, you've got an investment in this air conditioning unit and it has a button to just turn it on and it becomes a sort of expectation. Your friends expect you to have it on when they come and visit and, and it sort of seems to strange. Have some gluten-free snacks <laughs> with the air conditioning. <laughs> right. And so you end up in a situation where, you, you know, you, you've got the system driving it rather than the need. And uh, I I know from sort of we moved to a house uh, about 10 years ago, which by serendipity, we didn't really think about it, but by serendipity, it's positioning vis-a-vis the sun and the cross ventilation. We actually never put in the window air conditioners we brought from our house in Hartford because we actually found that running a, an attic fan for 10 minutes in the evening brought in enough air that it, it you know, uh, to me, I mean, I do like to feel the cool air sometimes, but at the same time, the connection with the environment is uh, appealing to me. And just turning on a switch at the beginning of the season, it's like saying, okay, we've got to be in a cocoon now. Uh, there's a uh, Elizabeth Shove, one of the uh, academics who studies this, says people count as comfortable what they get used to. Uh, mm-hmm. And she also points out that in places like Mexico, they used to use the siesta to have people do something quiet uh, during the hottest part of the day and push some of the work to the cooler evening hours. They stopped doing that. And uh, in 1995, 10 percent of Mexican homes had AC. By 2011, 80 percent had AC. Some of that just due to this cultural shift away from the siesta. Jacques, you will have the last word about air conditioning. 
you know, it's funny because there, there was a, an episode of Faith Show that uh, she was talking about a swamp cooler. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yes, I'm going to be super, you know, uh, environmentally friendly and get a swamp cooler, but they won't work here. They don't work I, in this climate. No. Yeah. And so I was all bummed out and just turned on the I AC. I thought it was some kind of cocktail, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it is that, too. Made it's with gluten-free swamp grass. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We have to take a break. We'll come back. We'll endorse after this. Human air, be you from Brooklyn, Staten Island, or Queens, I don't care. Don't matter kind of loving you're into or how big your apartment might be. All you need's an air conditioner, and you're the man for me. There's nothing more romantic than a crackling fire. But then I need the AC on or it gets too hot. But then one corner of the room gets cold, so I switch on the space heater, but it gets hot near the couch, so I put on a fan. And then when my toes get cold, an electric blanket. Perfect. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Our interns are Josh Nalea, Allison Ehrenreich, and Lily Tyson. Greg Hill appeared in our intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Jack Black. For show pages, articles, and a Faith Middleton Show staff guide to the best gluten-free wines, visit our website, WNPR.org. On Monday, The Scramble re-welcomes David Reese, whose new TV show is about how to open a door, climb a tree, dig a hole, tie your shoes, and make ice. And now, back to Colin. Yes, it's time for endorsements. Oh, I think I've managed the clock pretty well. It's time for um, our panelists to tell you about things that they would like you to know about that you possibly do not know about. So, James Hanley, uh, you go first. I wanted to recommend Trinity Restaurant, which is at 243 Mm. Zion Street, uh, where I go quite a lot and um, and Norman and I really like. Um, It's not run by Trinity. It just has the name Trinity Restaurant. It's run by um, uh, Natasha Goli and her family, and the food is excellent. Close to Cine Studio, you can come to have dinner, or you could maybe if you come to the Carillon concerts, it's right near, nearby, two forty three Zion Street. And last time I was there, it was still BYOB. I don't know if they. Yeah, I know uh, they actually have a. Uh, they have wine now. They they, wine, they okay. do sell wine. Yes. Do they have gluten free options? I I I will discuss <laughs> that with them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> By the way, Amy Melvin has just tweeted to us. Um, Amy Melvin, one half of Connecticut's most beloved twin team, uh, uh, has tweeted: "Just saw a gluten free cat food advertised." Seriously. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Doobie McDowell. Speaking of food, a Shoreline small business tour that I would recommend. Old Saybrook, Connecticut. Walt's Supermarket, made famous by Catherine Hepburn, who always shopped there. Walt became, like, you know, the go-to talking head if you were doing a Catherine Hepburn story. Walt's Supermarket, Atlantic Seafood, and Fromage Cheese Shop, all very close to each other, just fantastic businesses that give wonderful customer service and just great seasonal food. Locally owned. Locally owned. All right. What have you got, Jacques? Um, we just had our ice cream social at the Mark Twain house yesterday. And um, I'm always reminded how this is kind of a bit of a hidden gem in Manchester. Uh, but Royal Ice Cream, which is located on Warren Street, they've been manufacturing ice cream since 1926. It's not a proper walk-in, sit-down ice cream parlor. It's ice cream that you take and you bring home. But it, they're really wonderful people that run it. They've always been very generous with us. And the ice cream is really delicious. Get the Royal Witch, which is their... Ice cream sandwich, but it's completely covered in chocolate. Um, and uh, I was asked by our, our mutual friend, Ann Cubberly, to uh, mention she's got this event for Nightfall. 
um, which is the wonderful free public event that they have in uh, October. Um, they're going to be doing a little fundraiser for it at the Pond House Cafe on July 31st from 5 to 8.30. Tickets are only 20 bucks. 100% of the profit proceeds go to Funding Nightfall, which is open to everybody. And they can go to pondhousecafe.com for tickets and info. All right, so I've got a few endorsements here. Um, how much time do I have? Yeah, I think I will mention this. So on Wednesday, uh, the name Chubby Checker came up uh, because uh, he is actually stumping for, he is uh, helping out a Republican candidate nice uh, in, yeah, in really. Middletown. <laughs> yes, he's, uh, he's, helping, uh, he's helping out a Republican candidate uh, in Middletown, whom he knows personally and he's had some business dealings uh, with. And, and it's all just kind of fascinating that he would go and do kind of a little benefit show for her. Uh, he came up in the news again. I'm going to have to phrase this very carefully, but he settled a lawsuit uh, with Hewlett-Packard because of an app they had that was doing irreparable damage and harm uh, to his reputation. Uh, They had an app called the Chubby Checker, and it is an uh, app. It's a tool for measuring a certain part of yourself. uh, And if you can sort of think about what that would be. Your gluten levels? Yes, and not for your your gluten. If you can uh, just work your mind around to the whole question of what would a chubby checker actually be, you can probably put everything together in a way that Mr. Dankosky would prefer that I not do for you. So anyway, uh, congratulations to chubby checker. That's not really an endorsement exactly. Who do you follow on Twitter? Lately, I've been especially especially pleased by the melancholy tweets of former President Franklin Pierce, uh, who has a Twitter account. Uh, And and not only does he have a very amusing Twitter account, it's it's very melancholy. He's never happy about anything. But he's been tweeting at me. I've been very excited about that. So after we did a show about middle initials, he tweeted, I lost my boys, lost my wife, lost my health, lost the chance to run for a second term, and never was given a middle name. Uh, And then on a day when I had been tweeting something about having been personally grouchy myself, he wrote, he tweeted, you have nothing to be grouchy about, sir. Try being in my shoes. You have your health family and a sane wife. Godspeed, <laughs> FP. Uh, I wrote a play about Franklin Pierce. You did? Really? I did. Uh, but you are I not did. him manning the Twitter account. That no, is not no, you. no. He uh, wasn't a morose person, per se. His wife was. Well, anyway, this one, this, this, this Franklin Pierce Tell this Pierce poser. Is. Well, anyway, at, the, in, at last, and we're going to hear a little of his music as we go out, I want to endorse Alan Sherman long, long before uh, there was a Weird Al. There was Alan Sherman. Uh, I was listening to a lot of his music today, all of it available on YouTube, and he was a genius. I had just forgotten how, how good he really was. He tended to parody a different kind of song, and we'll go out with the fabulous Alan, that's A-L-L-A-N, Sherman. Why your skin fit fine And it still is gonna fit you When you're six foot nine So whether you're fat, tall, big, small, chubby or thin Ain't you glad you got skin? Kion Wolf, and I've been using this air conditioner for two weeks, and I still got dreadlocks and split ends. Kion, it's an air conditioner, not a hair conditioner. That's what I said, air conditioner.